right, welcome along to the RT Soccer Podcast. Raf Giallo here. We're on RT.ie, YouTube, Apple, and Spotify. I'll be joined later by Conan Byrne and David McMillan, but we're going to start on Vera Powell's Ireland having named the squad last week and with a final friendly send-off against France live on RT2 and RT Player on Thursday. Former Ireland manager and current FIFA Women's Football Technical Director Sue Ronan joined me earlier this morning and we discussed her view on the 23 plus 3 squad. Uh, the France game and the challenge the World Cup will pose. All right, Sue, um, thanks very much uh, for taking the time to uh, chat to me this morning. And uh, I suppose to start off, um, what's your overall reactions to the squad that has been selected, the 23 plus 3? Because there were a lot of marginal calls that had to be made there. There were. Um, I suppose my first reaction was, and still is, that it is it is a very strong squad. Um, I feel it's a, a well-balanced squad. We have players that can play in a number of positions. Um, you know, we've players like like Megan Conley who can play at centre half or centre midfield. Uh, Katie McCabe obviously can play wing back. She can play higher up the pitch. She can play in midfield. There's a number of pay- players like that. Heather Payne and other um, who can play around uh, in different positions. So I do think uh, you know it, it's it's quite versatile, quite a versatile squad. Um, it's also packed with real quality. Um, I keep saying we have world class players, and we do. We definitely have two in um, Teresa Sullivan and Katie McCabe. Um, you know, we, we uh, like it's a pretty settled squad as well, apart from um, maybe one or two new faces over the last year or so. Uh, the nucleus of it has been there for a long time. But yeah, I think overall it has a lot of experience. Um, you have youth there as well. You have the versatile players that I mentioned. Um, and that's obviously very important in a tournament scenario. So, yeah, I'm, I'm quietly confident we, we, we can do well in the group. Perfect. And uh, let's just listen to Vera Power because, um, you know, I think the emotions were quite palpable last week, um, last Wednesday, as she was talking to Tony O'Donoghue about those tough calls uh, one has to make. Yeah, it's, of course, devastating. I've, I've uh, broken dreams um, and uh, I've, that's devastating um, for, for all. Uh, all the other players were also um, very much down. It was not a celebration day yesterday. And that was Vera Pau speaking to our own RT soccer correspondent, Tony O'Donoghue, last week. And Sue, I imagine you can kind of sympathise with the difficulties of making those um, type of calls because, you know, from maybe our point of view, we look at it at a very cold analytical point of view. But you've also got to deal with the, uh, you know, the emotions in terms of like knowing the different characters that exist within a squad and within an overall camp as well. Absolutely. Um, and, you know, it is a very, very tough time for any coach to go through. Um, you know, of course, it's tough for the players that are left out. But, you know, an awful lot of thought goes into it. It's not a decision that that a coach or, or their, her staff uh, comes to overnight. Um, as I mentioned, and Vera mentioned herself, I'm sure there were many sleepless nights. There were late nights. There were early mornings. You were sleeping on it. You were going for a walk on it. All the staff would have, you know, had their opinion, um, put it into the melting pot as such. You know, they would have looked at every single scenario. They would have looked at statistics and training uh, data from uh, the sports scientists. You're weighing up who's coming back from injury, who's on form, who can move around in the squad, as I mentioned, you know. But there is that human side to it. You know, you have to you're going to break somebody's heart at the end of the day. And 
I suppose up till now we haven't been a, a, a team that have qualified regularly for tournaments. So, I mean, this is such a big occasion and such a big event to actually qualify. And I think that maybe probably even made it worse, I suppose, for the players that were left out, you know, that it's the first time we've been there and they really wanted to be part of that journey, you know. So, yeah, there were some very close calls. And I think, you know, I spoke to three or four friends of mine and all you know, very, very informed about the women's game here. I think every one of us picked a different squad. That's how close it was. There's some really some close marginal calls. But at the end of the day, you know, the, the coach and her staff have to make that decision. They've done that now. And I think it's time to celebrate who's in the squad and move on and try to support them as best we can. Yeah, and it's a testament as well, isn't it, to the depth that hasn't been built because that wasn't always an option. You've talked about the quality that's been available in recent times. Obviously, the the stars like Katie and Denise kind of lead the way, but there's been over the last three or four years, it seems like a you know a, an addition of maybe five or six, and it meant players like guess like Leanne Kierlin, Megan Campbell, who would have been shoe ins, have been due to injury partially sort of um, sidelined. No, absolutely. And, you know, in my day and in the, the day of other coaches, you're starting 11 picked itself. And after that, you're probably, you know, four or five subs picked themselves. And then you were really, you know, it was not quite a toss up, but, you know, I mean, it was very, very close then or, or it could have gone any way for the last few players in the squad. But now we have real depth and strength. And that is a testimony to how the game has grown here. And I mean, it was such a close call between the players that, that haven't made it, the likes of Leanne, um and other players that have been left out, Saoirse Noon and you know players like that, and then those that are the on standby like Jamie Finn. I mean, you know, must have been such a close call for for Jamie to miss out because she's been a stalwart in in the campaign in the qualifying campaign. I mean, she started I think six of the the the, the qualifying games. Uh, the first one she played a big role and she played a big role in a couple of friendlies, including the one against uh, Australia in the last 18 months, you know, so that was a big, big call and it was a close call. And yeah, going back to your point, it does show that the game has developed hugely here. We now have a huge depth and strength, which is what you want and, and what you need, you know, and um, I think that's going to see us now starting to qualify for more terms as the years go on. Yeah, and one of the bolters, I mean, Izzy Atkinson is one, but the other is Claire Reardon. And I was looking back her debut Cyprus Cup in 2016. I think you gave her her debut at the time. I mean, it must have been like, as you see, like obviously the joy for her um, sort of making the squad sort of as a late charger. You probably, I imagine you take a bit of satisfaction in that as well, kind of seeing her journey because she's she's gone to Germany, obviously, and then, um, you know, laterally to Celtic as well. No, absolutely. And when I gave her debut, um, Claire was still playing in the league here and she's playing Wexford Youths and she's playing as a centre forward. And, you know, she was, I always loved how strong she was in the air. She was fearless, you know, really combat, you know, really competitive on the pitch, but so strong in the air, such a good competitor and such a determined competitor. And yeah, she was in around my squad, sort of knocking on doors and stuff and gave her her debut. But then she went on uh, with Colin Bell and I think he encouraged her to or to look at maybe the centre half position. He saw something in, in her maybe that others hadn't. And she, yeah, he encouraged her to go to Germany. She, she, like an unfairness to her, you know, she was, I'm sure like many girls in those days, they were home birds as such, but up and off she went to Germany and she hasn't looked back, you know, and she's she she she's obviously had um, a very good season with her club in Scotland. Uh, I think she was player of the match in the cup final. Um, 
and like for her to get in, as you say, Bolter at Blue, I'm really, really pleased for her. She's a lovely girl. She's been knocking on the door for a long time. She has that determination. She'll never let you down. And she had a really great game, very good second half, particularly against Zambia. And obviously she's been doing well in training as well. So, you know, it's great for someone like uh, Claire to, to, to get on the plane to Australia. Yeah, and I was just looking through the numbers in the squad. So I think seven of the squad were players you gave debuts to yourself in your own time and that includes Katie McCabe, Denise O'Sullivan, sort of the core of what maybe we could call a golden generation and then yeah. I think also Grace Maloney was the other but um, she was capped a little bit later on but yeah. um, you know when you were calling these players up did, could you envisage you know that there was a core um, sort of like what we could call a golden generation building there or was it a little bit too early to tell there and it was just a case of just you know individuals um, who were showing promise at that stage? Well, we sort of had a bit of a golden generation from that squad that um, won a medal in the European Championships, the under-17s, under Noel King in 2010. Um, they were an exceptional squad. You had you had Denise in that. You had Kira Grant now who's come back in. Um, I also gave Kira her, her debut. Um, you had uh, Rihanna Jarrett, actually. Unfortunately, uh, Rihanna's just gone, gone off the, the landscape, probably through all the injuries she's had, the unfortunate injuries. Claire Shine would have been part of that group. Denise, as we mentioned, Megan Campbell. Um, you know, there was a, a real good nucleus of, of players who you thought were a, a, a golden generation. Um, they went on, did really well in the World Cup also. They they were only narrowly beaten by the eventual winners, uh, Japan in the quarterfinals. Um, I, unfortunately, the resort, the, the I suppose the structures weren't there to sustain their growth or to support it the way it needed to be. Um, at the time, uh, the, certainly the structures weren't here. Um, the league, even in England, wouldn't have been at the level it's at now, far from it. Um, that was pretty much probably just supporting the English players at the time. So the structures weren't there. And it was really only the cream of the crop that were getting to the top clubs and the top leagues around the country, around the world. Um, so it's unfortunate from that point of view, it was a bit, they came along a little bit early. But of course, you could see in the likes of Denise and Megan and Kira and other players of that you know that time they were they were something special they were going to be really good players and Katie came along just a couple of years later um and she was part of a very successful team under uh, Dave Connell the under 19s and they also got to a semi they got to a semi final of the European Championship in 2014 um and again they beat to get out of the group in Norway they beat three highly fancy teams England um, Spain and I think the other one was Sweden unfortunately they were beaten in the semi-final by Holland and they come up against a, a very young um, Vivian Miedema who's one of the top players in the world now unfortunately is missing out in the World Cup with injury but she was just blitzing everybody back then and she was also on the national team at the time playing with the under-19s with Holland and scoring for fun and unfortunately we met them in the semi-finals and, and lost but yeah Katie was part of that group and of course you knew she was special as well um, at the time and look it's great to see them come through eventually um well not eventually they've they've been there over the years they've been knocking on the door but it's great to see them get the reward i guess eventually for for um how good they are because players like that deserve to play at the top you know in the top stage in the world and even other players like you know uh, Neve Fahey, Louise Quinn, players like that, Diane Caldwell, they've been around such a long time. They've given so much to the game, to the, to the national team. They've gone all over the world trying to get themselves uh, into the best position to, to make themselves, you know, to be available for Ireland or to be selected for Ireland and to put themselves in the best position uh, rather. And, you know, I'm so happy for them as well. They deserve to play to play at this level.
Yeah, and it means a very experienced back three, obviously, as well, which is going to be key in a, in a major tournament. In terms of Katie McCabe's role, obviously, she's been um, talismanic, but I suppose a lot of the analysis since the squad has been picked um, has been around Megan Campbell's absence and potentially Katie playing in this left-wing back role. Is that what, Do you expect her to play in that role, or do you expect her to be play further forward and have an influence in midfield? Yeah, um, I suppose if we go on recent squads and yeah, Megan is out now and, and I she's an unfortunate loss also because also a very good player over the years, but unfortunately has been, you know, being really hampered by injuries and her throw in is such a weapon and it causes so, so much confusion uh, in the opponent's uh, penalty box, especially up around the goal. Um, but I, Vera likes uh, Katie coming from deep and she likes her in that wing back position and Arsenal have player, you know, in sort of a back four as well, maybe a left back rather than a wing back position. Um, so I definitely see her playing in that position. Personally, I like her higher up the pitch. I think she can influence her attack greater from higher up the pitch. I think we lose something when we have her playing uh, in a deeper position. Um, but look, that's the coach's choice at the end of the day and that's the style of play and that's her that's the the, the system of play she tends to like but um I definitely see Katie playing in that left wing back position I'd be surprised if she's if she's employed higher up the pitch but look maybe as games go on things are not going well maybe the change might come or you know she might be pushed further on but let's see I guess we might get a bit of an insight in the game against against France on Thursday night. Yeah, and Sinead Farley as well, whose story is remarkable in terms of uh, the amount of time she had out of the game. She's come back um, and then gets a call up for Ireland. Play, I think it played about an hour, but she seems even in the USA game that she played in, she brought a, an extra dimension in that midfield, which maybe offsets if Katie McCabe isn't playing in that role. Maybe um, her ability on the ball maybe is something that uh, will be a boon for Ireland. No, absolutely. I, I hadn't heard much about uh, Sinead Farley at all, I have to say, before uh, she was called into the squad. And I thought she was exceptional when she played against USA. I thought she looked so comfortable for a player who, it seems, was out of the game like for up to eight years. That's incredible. Um, she was out of the game that long. And then, you know, after not, not long back, slotted in against the world champions, one of the best teams in the world, and played like she'd never been away, you know. But very good in, in possession, very confident in possession, can hold the ball, can 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 find the pass at the right time. So players like that, the likes of, of her, Denise, of course, you know, is, is excellent in there as well. I think they're going to be really important player as far as uh, when we're on the ball because we're going to need to to hold it when we have it you know we're playing against a couple of the top teams in the world who are very good in possession so you know I think players like Denise like Sinead like Katie they're really going to be vital for us when we are in possession yeah and facing France obviously is going to be a great test as well in terms of their experience and their quality um what do you make of them they're an interesting proposition because of course uh, Corinne Diacre left the role um, fairly acrimoniously earlier in the year and then they brought in Hervé Renard who has quite a pedigree in the men's game I mean he was coaching Saudi Arabia at the World Cup there and uh, inspired them to victory over <laughs> Argentina and Lionel Messi which I think nobody would have expected so it'll be obviously it's a friendly it's a send-off but they're going to be it's an inter it's an interesting one for Vera Pau to try and plot her way through I imagine. Yeah, it is. And I think, you know, but I think we're really in preparation mode now. You know, the 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 last couple of games, I guess Vera needs to look at players. She needed to see who's gonna be on that plane with her. Players needed to get minutes that hadn't got minutes. Um, she was giving players opportunities, uh, which was needed to be done. I think now you're gonna see the team maybe more preparing for that opening game against Australia. Um, I would say 
I would expect, certainly in the first half, the team will be as close as the one that will start against Australia. I'd be surprised if it isn't, barring maybe players that are injured or, or not injured, but maybe you know need a little bit more rest time or whatever. Um, but I, I think we'll we'll see we'll get a sneak peek at who who maybe will be starting that game against Australia. Um, you look at France. Yes, they've been. In qualifying games, they've been one of the best teams in the world over the last 10, 15 years. They've had a golden generation of players too. Uh, some coming towards the end of their to the end of their career now. They're getting on a little bit, but they're an interesting team. They've always sort of flattered to deceive. Um, I think the best they've ever finished was uh, fourth in in one of the World Cups, twenty eleven World Cup. I think they were knocked out earlier than they than everyone expected in the one they they hosted. Um, but they have such a talented bunch of players, you know. But whatever's going on in France or whatever's going on with the team, that just never there always seems to be an issue. And yes, Corinne was sacked earlier in the year, and it seemed to be fairly acrimonious, as you say. Um, this guy Reynard has come in. I don't don't know anything about him. I'd never heard of him until I saw he was with the team. Obviously, Saudi Arabia in the the World Cup in Qatar. Yes, they had a great win against um, Argentina. I don't think they won a match after that, mind you, but it was a great win, nevertheless. Um, he doesn't have any background in the women's game, so that's an, always an interesting one. Um, but they have played a couple of games. They beat Canada two one in in the April window, I think, uh, at home, and. Um, they who they beat somebody else recently. I, I can't remember exactly who it was. Uh, might might have been Thailand, but uh, one of the teams anyway. I think that's at the, in the World Cup. They 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 beat them. Um, so yeah, that's an interesting one. And a couple of the players that had you know decided to retire under Corinne, or maybe she didn't select them. I'm not sure which it was. Uh, Eugenie Le Sommer, who's been really one of their talisman players for a number of years. She's come back and she's scoring goals. Um, Amandine Andre has come back and uh, Wendy. Uh, Reynard herself, the captain, and I don't think they're in, they're they're related herself and the, the coach, but she's also come back. So yeah, you don't know what you're going to get with them, but they are a very very good team. They're going they're fifth or sixth in the world. You know, I think they'll really put it up to us on Thursday. They give us a a, a great game, you know, great preparation game uh, for the World Cup. But how France in themselves will do in the World Cup, I'm not really sure. I wouldn't like to call it because. They can be hit and miss, but pretend maybe this coach will get something different out of that bunch of players. I don't know. Yeah, I think he's had a bit of success in tournament football in the men's game in terms of like the Africa Cup of Nations. I think Ivory Coast and Zambia is one of with right. before, but yeah. uh I think but, they were out of the blue, unexpected. I think he won those uh Yeah, yeah, especially especially the Zambia one. But you yeah. mentioned France being sort of a hard to predict in terms of how they well they do how well they will do. But if you were to look at the tournament as a whole, who do you have sort of as favourites? Is it the USA as the defending champions, England as European champions, or are you looking a little bit outside of those two? Personally, I am looking outside those two at the moment. Um, I thought England were absolutely fantastic last year when they won the Euros. And at that point, I thought to myself, yes, these are going to go really well in the in the, the World Cup. They could potentially go one step further than they did in uh, 2019 when they got to the final when they got to the semi-final um and they lost to USA. But I think they've been decimated with injuries to key players. I think Beth Mead's a huge loss to them. Um, I think Leah Williamson's another big loss to them. Um, and the, there's 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 a few big injuries that they have that I think is going to hurt them. Um, USA. For me, I actually don't think USA will win it either. Um, and I know USA tend to plod through, you know, the the three year cycle up to the World Cup and they peak and they're ready to go. And I do expect them to 
play better than they have shown in the last year because again they've been up and down but I think they have a new bunch of players coming through now again they're missing some of their key players some of their maybe more experienced players through injury from last year's Euros I sort of fancied Germany um, and I thought to myself yeah, they'll do well at the World Cup. Now, again, they've gone the opposite. They haven't been setting the world alight in the in the the pre the um friendly phase and I suppose the qualifying phase. But look, it's tournament football. You will expect the teams that always do well, that have that um, pedigree, the know-how to get results to be there or thereabouts. But I fancy maybe a Germany or Japan. I think there's not a lot being said about Japan. Um, potentially, you know, they could do well, or maybe even Brazil. Maybe this could be Brazil's time on the big stage. But let's see. I think it's, there's going to be some great football, some great games, and isn't it just wonderful that the Republic of Ireland are there to be part of it? Yeah, for sure. And I suppose a final point. Um, in terms of the legacy you'd like to see from this tournament, from an Irish point of view, um, like how do how do you view that? Because of course, this is fifty years in the making to get to a major tournament. I mean, I was at the I was at the event where the first team um to play for Ireland against Wales back in nineteen seventy three kind of came together. So it was nice to see that. And then obviously there's been so many staging points, including the you know the famous um press conference from twenty seventeen in Liberty Hall, and there have been steps made since then, but what do you want to see next um, after this tournament? Yeah, the game has come so far from back in those days when players, you know, probably put their hands in their own pocket to play, but it was never about that. Players just wanted to play for their country. And it's the same now. Players, of course, just want to play for their country. But if you want to perform, and we, we, we've we known that for years, but at last the team has been backed. If you want to perform at the top stage, if you want to get to the top stage, you have to have those resources behind the team. You have to, you know, have all the professional aspects around it. And it does have that now. It, uh, it's a shame the players had to take that stand to, really kick on and to, to move in that direction but we're you know we're at that stage now where I think the players want for nothing probably around the squad um but what I'd like to see is a legacy I well I, the game is growing here I'd like to see it grow even more I'd certainly love to see a professional league here I really would um we're a bit away from that yet but I think we're going in the right direction now it's sort of gone semi-professional this year but I'd love to see we're in a situation where we have a really good well-run vibrant league here where all our top players are playing in it and you know they're the role models then for the young girls the young girls can go and watch them playing for their club not just when they're here playing for their country and that's inspiring those thousands of young girls then to want to stay in the game so yeah for me I love down the road and, and pretty soon down the road I'd love us to have our own professional league here and we're playing in you know the big stadiums and uh, yeah that's that's the legacy I'd like to see from it. Yeah and Australia and New Zealand of course Less than uh, three weeks away now from uh, from an Irish point of view, obviously the opening game on the 20th of July, Ireland uh, against Australia in that. And of course, we're, we'll be bringing uh, live coverage of every single match uh, on RT as the tournament unfolds. And also the uh, match we've just been talking about as well against France live on RT2 and the RT player from 7.30pm on Thursday, kickoff at 8pm. But Sue Ronan, thanks very much for uh, taking the time. You're welcome. Thank you, Ralph. And that is Sue Ronan, former Republic of Ireland manager between 2010 and 2016. And I am joined now by Conan Byrne and David McMillan. And Conan, um, I know you follow the uh, you know the exploits of the women's team very closely. So I'd be just interested in getting your thoughts on the squad and also how they shape up for the France game. Look, really looking forward to the France game. It's the, their, their final send-off and sold-out tally. It's exactly what they deserve and like it has been over the last number of months. So really looking forward to the game. Um, and the send-off that they will get. <clears throat> uh, the squad itself, yeah, um, surprised me, um, Raf, in certain aspects of it. 
obviously the exclusion of Jamie Finn was a massive talking point last week and looking at the previous couple of days before the announcement was made all the journalists were picking their 23 and Jamie Finn was in every one of them and um, unfortunately then she didn't make it and look I, I, it was unbelievable really I was I had a sleepless night thinking about how Jamie was feeling um, when when the news broke because having played six out of the nine games only missing the two the two Georgia games where uh, where it was a dominant display in both games and then she was suspended for Slovakia and then coming back in for the playoff win against Scotland where she did really really well in that makeshift right back position just shows her versatility um, I thought she would have been a nailed on spot like like the other journalists that, that thought so as well but when you think about it she missed the four games leading up to the squad announcement um, obviously the the American games she didn't play in and I just thought maybe that the Vera was just trying something new with the, with the new players that had been drafted in um, but then when when Vera spoke at the announcement that kind of Heather Payne had kind of done really really well in that position at right wing back and Kyra Caruso with her technical ability up front it just made that decision really, really difficult for Vera. Um, and she mentioned it herself that it was the toughest decision to make, but you still feel so hard done by for, for Jamie with with all that she has put in for, for the Irish team. Um, but then you, you've got to look at the other players that have grabbed their chance with both hands. Izzy Atkinson, um, West Ham United player, obviously formerly of Shells, um, like wasn't in the, the initial larger squad, comes in to train with them, a UCD, shows what she's capable of. Um, played in the Zambia game and obviously showed what she can do. And Vera talked about her maturity over the uh, over the course of that game. And it just goes to show the look that you can have in football. If you just, as I've said before, in terms of my own career, I've always said like if you listen to your coach and do exactly what they say, nine times out of ten they'll play you. And Izzy has has, has did that to a to a T. Um, and great to see the likes of Chloe Mustaki, um, Kira Grant, um, like really good players and. And the other talking point, I suppose, was Leanne Kiernan as well. And I was at the open training session in Belfield um, before the announcement, before the Zambia game. And um, they had 11 v 11, 15 minutes each way. And the game ended 1-0. And the goal was scored by, by Leanne. Brilliant goal, uh, curled it in from 25 yards out. But as Vera mentioned as well, it's just the stats and her ability for the, the fitness kind of told in the end. But um, yeah, I suppose that was the... Those, those were the real talking points I suppose was Jamie more so than anybody else and know Leanne as well and the injuries to Aoife, Aoife Mannion but um, yeah it was a, a really difficult decision for Vera I'm sure to leave the players out but now that that's behind us now we just have to focus on on the 23 that are there congratulate them immensely for that wonderful achievement of being in that squad and be fully behind the team now going to New Zealand and Australia starting with, with France next week yeah, and the the Zambia game um, the previous week, so that one was a lot more experimental in terms of the lineup, and I think obviously there were players still fighting for places. What you expect to see in terms of the France game? Because again, you they want I'd say they'd want to be avoiding like in uh, like injuries or overloading players. So do you expect sort of like a semi um, experimental lineup of the twenty three plus three that are there, uh, or how do you think um, how do you think Vera will um, will deploy them? Um, I'd like to see her play her, her full strength team starting off, um, because they're coming up against Australia in a sold out arena in, in next month. So I think you, I think you need to start your, your strongest team just to see how they are, how they gel. Um, it's be very difficult going into a tournament when you've you you haven't played your starting eleven, your fav, favorite starting eleven. Um, and I mentioned Jamie Finn, like she would have been in that in the qualifying campaign, she would have been in the starting eleven. So she hasn't picked her. Her one to eleven yet. That's that's gonna 
that she feels as if that's going to compete at, at the World Cup. So I'd like to see the start starting off. Obviously, with injuries and things like that, you don't want it to uh, to creep into the squad. So you'd probably leave it at that 45 minutes to an hour and then make some changes after that to see how it goes. But um, well, that's what I'd like anyway. I'd like to see a, a strong lineup against France. Yeah, and then on the domestic front, um, Shelburne are in Champions League action. So they have um, the draw for the first round of the qualifiers was done, but they're facing Glasgow City. And that looks like a very tough draw given Glasgow's pedigree. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I mentioned Dizzy Atkinson before. She actually played for them before before she signed for West Ham. Um, so that game's on, on the 6th of September. And if they win that, then they play Gintra of Lithuania or Cardiff City. Another another tough task in that. So it's, And look... W- they played last year as well in the in the competition. They they won their first game. They bet ZNK one nil and then lost to the Icelandic team Valor three nil, um and that was with a stronger squad. I feel like they've lost Jess Gargan. They've lost Abby Larkin. Um, obviously Jesse Stapleton now has left as well. So they're big players that would have that would have been starting in that game and. Um, it's it's going to be very very difficult for them to to compete. I think at the, at this level, especially against against Glasgow. But the emergence of fifteen year old Hannah Healy has 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 been excellent. Um, Kayla Hamrick as well has come in from from America and she's done really, really well. So um, optimism, but up against it, I'd say, the ref. Yeah, and then interestingly, the Avenir Sports Cup as well, or Avenir Sports All-Ireland Cup. So this is the uh, the amalgamated competition that's being played at the moment between the the teams in the um in the in the um the league down here, the League of Ireland, and then those from Northern Ireland, of course, as well. It's got to the semi-final stage, and what we've found now: Cliftonville playing Cork City and Wexford Youths against Galway United. Interestingly, looking at it from certain teams, it's been good for Cork City and Wexford who have had sort of uh, underwhelming seasons particularly Wexford who tend to um, compete at the higher end and Cork City who have um, struggled over the last few seasons Yeah they've done really well in this competition and it was great to see Dermot Usher up at Seaview there in their 1-0 win against uh, Crusaders um, it was fantastic to see and Fina Bradley obviously getting the only goal of the game to put them through into the into the semi-finals the only problem with Cork City is that they, after being up in Seaview in Belfast um, last Saturday they have to go up again um, to Cliftonville this weekend, and I, I'd, I'd like to see a kind of like a festival of football here for this semi final, the All Ireland. Like, why not play it and like Lizzie Woolen and have the two games on back to back and create a bit of an atmosphere and and and, and build the All Ireland All Ireland Cup into something unique. And um, that's what I would have liked to have seen. But look, Wexford host Galway as well. Going to be a, a fascinating game. Galway on the back of a fantastic two 0 win against Shelburne to put them through into the semi final. So um, it's going to be it's all to play for, and it's. It's going to be a fascinating uh, weekend next next week. Yeah, for sure. And before we talk about the men's League of Ireland, um, David, first there's a there's a lot of uh, you know transfer news involving Republic of Ireland players at the moment. And the one that was confirmed, I think, it was two hours after we recorded last week's podcast. And this is how timing always works: you record something, and then somebody drops a uh, you know drops an interesting bit of news that you would have liked to talk about. But anyway, we'll we'll talk about it now. A week on, and Jadosi Ogbeni going to Luton Town, and it's a good move from him. It seems in terms of the reaction um, from you know from all quarters but the interesting thing looking at it he he has been signed as a forward or a wide forward and given how he has developed in recent times especially the influence of Stephen Kenny that's important for his development it seems yeah I think on his performances for Ireland he's always been excellent when he's when he's played and um, no doubt those international performances has helped get him to move into the Premier League what I'd hope is that he just gets enough game time to show what he can do you know uh, you want players, Irish players, playing as high as possible. Um, he has the opportunity to do that now. It's just about making sure that he gets the game time that 
uh, he really takes advantage of it because for Ireland, where you know, obviously Liam Brady's comments a couple of weeks ago that we, you know, it's one of our weakest squads ever, whether that's right or not. You know, we need more players playing in the Premier League and playing regularly. So the couple that have moved, uh, and we'll talk about the others probably, but it's good to see uh, Irish players moving into the Premier League and, and even moving clubs where they might get more game time and, and hopefully in the season to come, um, you know, they all get as much game time as possible. Yeah, and it's interesting that his move, because again, with Rotherham United, he would have been a right wing back initially when he when he was there um, a, a couple of seasons ago. And then last season, he ended up being moved further forward. But it's it's a strange one in the sense that actually it's his international career, which seems to have impacted his position um, at club level, David. I mean, what you make of him as a striker and how he's adapted, because it is a it's, you know, you, you obviously know that position really well. But going from right wing back to uh, to being a centre forward, it's a complete completely different mental shift yeah I think I remember obviously played against him here in the League of Ireland in his Limerick and Cork days I think um, and always remember him as kind of left winger coming inside I think that won't be any big surprise to me that to be playing that position I won't take much getting used to you know he'll be well well attuned to it but he's just unbelievable athleticism you know I think what he gives Ireland as a player who's, who's able to get in behind teams and stretch teams is good pace and strength and um, I think at times watching Ireland anyway, I think that's something we probably need, you know, his ability to stretch teams, especially when you're trying to pass it and keep the ball. You need to have that option to be able to get in behind. And um, that might work well for me. You know, Luton are obviously going to be big underdogs next season and um, probably, you know, favourites to be one of the bottom three. But if you're going to be a team that's going to play on the counter and be under pressure, then him as a four player is, is the kind of guy that you'd need. And perhaps that's exactly what Luton are looking for. And, and hopefully it works out for him. Yeah, and then Darrow O'Shea also confirmed last week moving from West Brom to Burnley. So again, another player uh, moving up to uh, Premier League football. And uh, Conan, I suppose, looking at this, there's two advantages here for him. One being, of course, the the fact he's going to be working with Vincent Company, one of the great centre-backs of recent times in, in the Premier League era. But the other, also his versatility in terms of game time, I'm sure it's going to be quite helpful. Yeah, he's played over 100 games now for West Brom. I think 28 of them were in the Premier League when they got relegated a couple of years, a couple of years ago, um, the 2021 season. So um, I think it's, it doesn't help Luke McNally's chances of playing regular uh, first-team football in the Premier League. Obviously, he was out on loan last year and he's probably talking about going out on loan to the Championship again this year. But with Dara, I think it's a brilliant move for him. 24 years of age, coming into his prime. Um versatile he does really really well at international level as well a bit like Ogbeni um, I'm sure Vincent had a look look back at some clips of him at, at international level and see, seeing how well he did um, so I just think it's 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 a, it's a situation now where you're going to have the international um, centre-backs playing Premier League um, especially with Nathan Collins moving to Brentford with hopefully in the next couple of days or hours <laughs> um, but like yeah it's it's a great move for him um, as I said he's, he's a really really good player and well thought of, well regarded by his peers as well, but also by the coaching staff at West Brom. So, um, yeah, let's let's hope it's a great move from. Yeah, you mentioned Nathan Collins there, of course, um, and that that kind of. Uh that back line in terms of their Premier League experience, obviously uh, Nathan Collins uh, already with Wolves, but uh, looks like he's going to go for another rec- Irish record transfer now. Um, last year, obviously it was over 20 million um, to go to Wolves and it looks like the mooted figure at the moment is 23 million pound to go to Brentford. And uh, David, I mean, it's an interesting one for him because there was great hopes from last year when he went to Wolves, but it never really 
got up and running. Obviously, the sending off when um um he uh, he he had that high challenge on Jack Grealish maybe um stunted him a little bit, and then he ended up getting dropped towards the end of the season. Um, and however, though the fact that Brentford are coming back from uh, coming in for him probably suggests like there is huge potential potential seen there. Yeah, definitely. I think he's since he's come into the Irish team, he's been a, a big figure and you know one of those that I think he's the, one of the first names on the team sheet. And yeah, I think look, Wolves kind of had a slow start to the season, and obviously as a as a big twenty million pound signing, um, the pressure was on a little bit probably. And um, performances, you know, change of manager, performances improved. He sort of dropped out of the side, as I said, probably not helped by the right car. But um, it is promising that Brentford are willing to to spend big on him and. You know, you would hope they're only going to do that because they see themselves playing them every week. And as I said with Benny, I think that's the main thing for for any of these lads is that they get in and they're consistently playing. And uh, Dara O'Shea as well. Like I remember watching him early in his Ireland days, and he looked a real, real player. He had, a, I think, a horrible ankle injury. Uh, I can't remember the game, but it was just you could see how bad it was going to be, and it obviously has kept him out for quite a while. But um, if those two are playing week in, week out. Uh, it'll make a big, big difference for Ireland, uh, especially the way we're set up at the moment with three and a half. So I think those two will be big players for Ireland. So hopefully they do get the game time um, that we all hope they do. Yeah, and John Egan, of course, as well, promoted with uh, Sheffield United, which completes uh, sort of that back line. And then there's all this rumour about Andrew Omobamidele also potentially going from Norwich uh, to Crystal Palace. Uh, there's, a, there's a few players, Conan, like looking, just looking at the list, uh, you know, the amount of uncertainty within the Irish squad in terms of their futures. I mean, Cuevin Keller, we talked about a couple of weeks ago, um, you know, he definitely is somebody who needs a move for for game time. Matt Doherty's future is a bit up in the air. Um, you know, as we mentioned, Omobamidele, in a different way, um, likely to be promoted up to the Premier League, or also there was rumours about AC Milan at one point. Jason Knight, another who certainly needs a move, and then Troy Parrott. It's just it just seems to be a facet with the squad at the moment. There's a lot of uh, about half of the Irish squad seem to be in uh, a certain amount of uncertainty. Yeah, and I think that's that's been the problem for Stephen Kenny at international level is when we have players that are playing League One football and Championship football, and you're asking them to compete at international level. And it's going to be very, very difficult when they're not used to playing at that level. Like we we talked about Bedog Benny, obviously, and he gave Theo Hernandez an awful, well, a difficult time at, at, at fullback in, in the France game. But that's just because of his pace and his power. Like if you're asking the likes of um, like Josh Cullen, for instance, Jason Knight, who's playing in League One to come up against international superstars on a regular basis, it's going to be very, very difficult for them. So they need to be playing at a higher level. And with Jason Knight playing in, in, in at Derby County, um, obviously they didn't get promoted playing out of position initially when he came when at the start of the season he was playing at right wing back um, so not ideal so we're looking for these players to, to move up leagues and in order for our international standards to improve as well um, but like you said Cuevin Keller has to get a move um, not playing enough game time um, Omadama Daly um, Adam Ida obviously suffered a few injuries as well Um You'd like to see him get a regular first team football, be it in the championship or or, or further field. Um, Matt Doherty has another player that really needs to to find consistency within a team. Um, and in order, to, if all that happens, if 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 they can play regular first team football, um, at the highest level possible, which is the Premier League or in, in top European leagues, well then we can have a chance then at international football. But until then, I think we're we're going to stay where we are. 
Yeah, we'll be keeping an eye on those. I imagine um, with the nature of these things, there's going to be an announcement of some like major transfer about an hour after we uh, finish recording <laughs> here. I <laughs> have to talk about it next week. But anyway, in the meantime, let's talk about the uh, SSC Eritricity Men's Premier Division. And at the weekend, Cork City and Drada United drew one all. Dundalk, one of the surprise results, beating Shamrock Rovers 2-0. Shelburne and Derry City drawing one all. Sligo Rovers getting back to winning ways with a big win, 3-1 over Bohemians. And then St. Pat's trashed UC. CD 7-0 and we'll talk about Mason Melia as well because uh, he added his name to the um, to the score sheet there and in terms of his age at the age of 15 as well it's remarkable but um, David let's start on Dundalk and Shamrock Rovers because I was watching this one live and the first half it seemed like if the deadlock was going to be broken it was going to be via a mistake but uh, in the second half what did Dundalk do right in terms of turning the game in their favour and also what went wrong for Shamrock Rovers? Yeah, it was kind of a game of fine margins. As I said, there wasn't massive amount of chances, particularly in the first half. I think the closest is probably just Sean Horace header back to the goalkeeper and a bit of miscommunication and Sean Horace to clear it off the line. So um, I think, look, I think the Dock have slowly built a good run of results together and um, listed O'Donnell over the last few weeks. He just felt they needed to combine a good first first half performance, a good second half performance. And that's probably what they did, you know, Um you know, they evened out the game in the way they set up, kind of matched up in formation-wise and tried to nullify Rovers. But I think, you know, over the last years, I don't think Rovers have particularly enjoyed playing an Oriole just with the pitch. And um, they've generally gone a little bit more direct than they might do at home in Tala. And um, at times that's worked for them earlier in the season. Obviously, they won up there 4-0 with, with Dundalk down to 10. But generally, it's not been a great ground for them. Um, and Dundalk just kind of yeah nullified them and I think took advantage second half, a brilliant goal from Louis Ainsley, someone who's missed a huge chunk of the season through kind of illness. And um, now that he's back, he seems he's been a big miss for them. Uh, even with Andy Boyle out, he's had to step in and took his goal brilliantly, a little one-two, breaking from the back with Pete Ward and fired at home. So I think the dog just finding their feet a little bit. Injuries obviously have helped. They've had lads back. I think Benson really the only one missing now at the moment. But the worry for them is probably their squad is thin. You know, with Tulloch, is obviously his loan is up. Waziri Williams' loan is up. They're coming into Europe now as well. I think I'm sure O'Donnell would love a bit of investment to try and get some more players in. And I think the club needs to back them, and um, especially on the back of a good run of results to go into Europe in good form. And, and hopefully they can continue what's been a good European record over the years. But uh, it was a brilliant performance for them, a great result for them. And um, Rovers, yeah, it's, it's hard. Nobody's quite pushing them hard enough to really put them under pressure because I was looking at the stats. They've, they've drawn seven and, and lost four so far this year. Last year they drew, you know, drew seven and lost five in the whole season. So, um, their form has certainly dipped, but they're still comfortable leaders at the moment. Yeah, and uh, as you mentioned with Dundalk as well, in terms of backing the manager and getting players in, Rayan Tullock has been one who has been impressive this season, but he's now returning to West Brom at the, as his loan um, comes to an end. Now, he wasn't involved in the the win over Shamrock Rovers due to suspension, but just how big a blow is his his departure? Because he seemed to bring a little bit of wizardry um, that maybe was missing elsewhere. Yeah, um, you know, they have Daniel Kelly who missed a big portion of the season back, so that's a help. Uh, you know the Brian O'Kane there, John Martin there, but I think Tullock was something a little bit different. He was a sort of spark out of nothing. You know, he could produce a, a goal from nothing when you're maybe struggling in a game. I remember being at the, the the shells game with Cone, and we we covered the game, and they were kind of struggling to break shells down, and a bit of magic from Tullock produced. He won a penalty earlier in the game, and he produced a goal. So he had that just a little bit of extra quality that any side in the league would be delighted to have. So he will be a miss and. Uh, 
as I said, I think the Marmots at the moment there is this kind of nothing lined up in terms of, of signings in July, but um I think they will certainly need minimum two or three players to come in and just help the squad because if if they lose another two or three to injury like they have earlier in the season, you know, they'll struggle for numbers. And I think that's probably a lot of clubs in the same position, you know, the likes of Drada and that have lost other key players. So they're not the only club. Um but yeah, they they, they certainly need to, to try and find the right people now, particularly coming into Europe. Yeah, and then Sligo Rovers, Conan, I mean, um, you know, they were coming into this, what turned out to be a victory over Bohemians off the back of a pretty damaging defeat to, and unexpected also defeat to UCD, but the way they've responded, and I mean, looking at the goals as well, I think, you know, there's a brilliant team goal for the first one scored by Barlow, the second one, obviously, it's a mistake by the Bowes goalkeeper, but the, and then, you know, the third one, a really good hit from Radoslajevic that's probably not the type of football you would expect with a team under pressure. So probably it's actually, it's quite of a testament to them as well, that they were able to play the way they did when, you know, all the spotlight is on them in that way. Yeah, look, they, they needed to win the game. As you said, they were on the back of four poor results. Um, they lost UCD, they lost to Shamrock Rovers, they lost to Bowes and they drew with Shells. Um, and they needed to get to pick up a result. And they did so. They did really, really well. And they got they got their goals. And obviously Talbot helped them with their second one. Um, but great to see um Barlow with his first goal for the club, Max Mata as well. Um his first goal in nine, but he's second top second top scorer behind Chris Forrester in, in, in the league with 10 goals this season. So really, really good. Must win game. And as I said, they're away to Derry now on Friday, which is a, a another tough game. But yeah, it's it was just something that even the crowd at Sligo, they can get on your backs very, very quickly. Um, especially Sligo have lofty ambitions. They want to play in Europe um, every season, every season, and doesn't look like it this year. Um, so it was very, very important that they got back to winning, winning ways and quickly. Um, like if Drada had a held on against Cork the other night, they would have been level on points with Sligo. So, and again, dragging them down into that relegation playoff. And Sligo want to be aiming, aiming forward. And with that win, it leaves them five points behind Shells in sixth place. But at least it gives pushes them up, pushes them closer to them. Um and yeah, look, they they they're they're re, they're a difficult team to beat in the showgrounds over the years, and and David will be a testament to that. He played down there, um, but it's very very difficult for them at the moment, um, because their form both home and away isn't isn't good enough, and um, but that win over Bowes coming back off the break as well, um, you'd like to think that they'll they'll push on, but again, a very very tough tough game up in the Brandywell this this Friday. Yeah, David, just on Sligo as well, just in terms of what Conan said there about, you know, the I guess the atmosphere when times are a little bit more difficult there and just how tough it, it can be as a player. Yeah, I think it can be, definitely. I think we could probably say the same about a few clubs. Um, I think Conan said they do have lofty ambitions. They expect to be in Europe. Um, you know, they're happy to spend money and bring players in. It's a, it's a tough gig because often it's you're bringing players in from abroad. You're not 100% sure what you're going to get. Um We've seen that this year. There's there's some brilliant, you know, Hartman or the Cybers, there's brilliant talents there, but it's trying to get the most out of them and make sure they're committed to the cause. And um yeah, the 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 game I thought, you know, Saigo did very well off the back of what's been really, really poor performances and they would have felt the pressure a little bit, I'm sure. Um Bohemians on the other hand seem to be in a bit of a free fall. I mean, they haven't I don't there's one win and nine um from from the start that they had, I'm sure Decky's a little bit concerned and they need to try and kick on. Um, it's an interesting one this week that they'll play uh, the dog. So 
a team in form, but Bowes really need to pull a result out of somewhere and, and try and get back, you know, get the wheels back on the wagon because it just has been a, a poor sort of run for them. Um, but yeah, credit credit to uh, to Sligo and a couple of really good goals in the game in terms of finishes. But from Bowes' point of view, I mean, first goal is just a really sloppy header from Noak, just gives possession away, like really fine margins. It's a, it's a simple header into his midfielder, gives it away. Second goal comes from a you know throw in McDonald's just totally misjudges a clearance. So I mean we're looking at Talbot, but even before that, it's a really poor mistake. And then can't really forgive the mistake from Talbot. So it's kind of a comedy of errors. And if Bowes want to get get back to where they were, they need to really improve and and kind of clean those errors up. Yeah, and from a Bowes point of view as well, Conan. I mean, um, it's interesting. Afalabi's goal was actually eerily similar to the one he scored um, against Shamrock Rovers, almost a carbon copy. And that might be the one one of the green shoots that maybe now he's starting to find his feet in terms of goal scoring. Yeah, but he, he needs service. Um, like Connolly and Twardek, uh, uh, look, they've they've never pleased pleased me with their end product. Um, since they've come in, um, and like they're very direct. But when it gets down to it, it's it's like they rush their crosses when they need to take their time. They have the pace to get behind beyond their fullbacks and, and put decent balls into the box, and it just doesn't happen regularly enough. Um, so if I was Afalabi, I'd be tear, tearing my hair out that I haven't got ten goals this season because he's strong, he's a can finish, um, and he's shown that. And he hasn't missed guilt edge chances this season. Um, he just hasn't. The service hasn't been good enough. And like David said, one win in, in, in nine games, seven points out of a possible 27. It's it's not good enough from considering where they were. Um, they're second last in the form table. Um, UCD behind them. Obviously, Sligo caught up with them, um, level on points with them. So one shot on target in the whole game was the goal. Um, yeah, so big game against against Dundalk, like they're who, who are absolutely flying at the moment. Yeah, and in that battle that Sligo are in, sort of to avoid the um the uh, relegation playoff spot at the moment. Cork and Drada, of course, are involved in that and they drew one all, as I said earlier. And um, um, David, I mean, looking at it, um, Adam Foley scores a good goal early on and this is where, with a situation where Draper is loan has come to an end. So there's going to be a lot of onus on Foley. Yeah, Dra- Draper kind of just really got going, you know, it started, he wasn't scoring goals, but, you know, I saw him play in Oriel and he was a real, real handful, just physical and put himself about, worked exceptionally hard. Um, such a good young player. Uh, interesting to to see how his career goes. Whether he'll get game time back at Lincoln or whether he'd. I'm sure there's clubs here that'll be trying to get him get him back again. Um, but he will be a big miss. In fairness to Foley, he took his goal really really well. Like, you know, left foot clever finish, good ball from Ryan Brennan. Um, I think Drada were from from the highlights of the stats. They looked like they were well on top in this game and should have probably been out of sight. Um. They'll be disappointed not to take a three points uh, after you know the way they performed, but I think that'd be okay. They've a lot of, you know, I like Marky and um, you know a clever player. He seems to be involved in a lot in the game. Uh, Dylan Grimes, they've got good creative players. Gary Deegan behind them. I think what I like about Drada is they kind of have a consistent bunch who seem to always be fit and able to play, and and, and they sort of work around those five or six key players that's in their squad. And um, as you said, they will miss Draper, and I think a wee is gone as well, so they'll miss those two, but. Um, trust Kevin Doherty to to find another couple of gems and, and bring them in in, in July and, and keep Drada taking over they sort of got dragged Cork's really good results I think they've nearly four wins on the bounce kind of caught them up but if the perform- if the game on Friday was end to go by I think Drada will, will probably stay clear of Cork but um, 
I'm sure Drada will have Sligo on their side. So it's an interesting battle down that end as well. Those those three or four teams um, down near the kind of playoff place will uh, are in an interesting battle for Cork. It's to try and to keep with them now. Um, you know, as I said, they had a good run of form, but since then it's been a bit of a dip. And I think Liam Buckley's been confirmed to the end of the season. So he'll, he'll want to bolster the squad as well and, and see can they catch Drada and catch Alexis Sligo. Yeah, and also speaking of gems in the St. Pat's game, of course, uh, 7-0 win over UCD, Conan, but uh, Mason Melia is the one that will grab all the headlines. I mean, the youngest ever League of Ireland goal scorer for Pats there, um, age of 15, which is, uh, it's hard to get one's head around it. Now, he will score better goals than the one um, he, he scored against UCD, but this is somebody we we were talking about in regards to the Ireland under-17s because he was one of the jewels in the crown of that team that got to the knockout stage. Uh, you might tell us a little bit about him um, in terms of his development development and you know the potential that is there because he's uh he's obviously you know he's hitting a lot of markers already at this age and you know there's still a long way to go but there's huge potential there yeah there is yeah from Wicklow like he's a fantastic prospect we've we, we've seen that at the under 17 tournament where he was absolutely brilliant and he can still play that that age group you know for another year and it was just so de- delighted for him in the sense that he's been trying so hard over the last number of weeks to, to break this to break this record. He wanted to be the youngest goal scorer um, and finally got it. And as you said, it just looked as if it just went tipped a tiny bit over the line, but they all count, as, as David would say, um, as a striker himself. But um, you're not going to care what type of goal you score. Once you're first, the monkey's off the back now. He can go on and um, and try and score more before the end of the season because he's, will, he's willing to get chances and... and and John Daly is is willing to give chances to to those players. We even Rhys Bartley, he's the first player from from St Pat's to play 13s, 14s, 15s, 17s, and 19s to play first team. Um, and it just shows the development. And oh, with Pat's over the years, they have done that. You know, with with, with David mentioned Dara Markey there, he came through the ranks. Looks at Jamie McGrath as well. So the, the, you you will always have that that chance at St Pat's to to break through. And um, it's a testament to to players that have come through that system. Um, the coaches, the underage coaches that are there, um, the development that's within the club. And yeah, it's just, it's absolutely fantastic to see. And even Tom Lonergan as well, scoring scoring a brace. They were his first two goals for the club. Um, they were the only two, two only thing missing from his performances since the start of the season. He's been excellent. Um, and to get the two goals w- was great. But Pats themselves, are, they're on a great run of form. Um, best home form in the league, 25 points from the 12 games. Home to Cork on Friday, Liam Buckley going back to, to Richmond Park. Um, they're probably after their, their performance on Friday, he was very disappointed in their performance and um, speaking to the to the media after the game. So they're gonna have to regroup um reinforce their squad big time. Um Tiernan Brooks is meant to be coming in from Notts County as well. I think that's been confirmed. So that's a good sign for them because that that's an area that they needed to to um strengthen. Um but with Pats, yeah, it's uh Onwards and upwards, fantastic since since John Daly has come in and um, doing really really well. Um, won eight of eleven games since since he's took over. So yeah, you can't argue with that. Yeah, and with Pat sort of looking upwards, there's a sense, uh, David, that Derry are drifting a little bit, at least in terms of results. And even when you look at the table, there's a sense maybe they could even be looking behind them more than they would be looking forwards. Yeah, that's a bit of a a sticky one for Derry. You know, they're kind of the team that are just disappointing the most of late. I think each week you, you feel they should win games um, and they're losing and drawing them. And I think they've won win in seven, which for the squads that they've assembled, you'd never really expect from them. Uh, now, there's no doubt they're, they've 
huge players out at the moment and they really have struggled probably more than anyone with injuries this season. Um, you know, even on their bench, I think they had three senior outfield players on their bench really that were that were realistic subs. Um so that is a struggle for them, no doubt. But um, you know, the last couple of performances just you know, they've they've had a lot of the ball, they have a lot of possession, but they don't really seem to create too much. They don't I know we've spoken before about you know they'll, they'll miss Colin Whelan, but at the moment they're not even really creating chances that if he was on the pitch you'd say oh well he take that you know other strikers are missing things it's um, even their goal the other night it comes from you know Brandon having a ball into the box which is just a real hopeful ball it's it's nothing of real of real quality and fairness to Keane Cavani you know he's a big strong striker he makes the most of it he he sort of gets contact with Paddy Barrett to, to just free up the ball for a brilliant finish from Doherty, but it's not, they don't seem to be cutting teams open, even with large spells of position. I know they played Rovers last week and had a lot of the ball, but I think had one shot in the game. Um, So that's, that's the, the, the disappointing thing. And I think everybody expected them to challenge Rovers this year. And, and you'd hope that there's, there's a title race. It certainly looks like Pats would be the closest at the moment, but hopefully Derek can get players back to like Michael Duffy, McElhenney, Will Patching, players of real quality and if they can get those back I think they'll start to create more opportunities and, and score more goals and, and ultimately win more games but um, it's certainly a sticky spell for them. Yeah and on the other side of that one-all draw with Derry City of course were Shelburne and it was a sort of momentous day earlier where um, I think we finally got to hear from the new majority shareholder which is Ajun Ilijela who comes from Turkey and has been the owner of Hull City as well now we're going to play a couple of clips here but it'd be interesting to get your thoughts on what it means for the club but let's listen to his um, a part of his chat with Shane Dawson of RTE Sports just on the priorities he has uh, for the club um, before we talk about Tolka Park and uh, other areas. In terms of your investment, what's the priority? Would it be the footballing side of things in terms of players? Would it be player development with the academy? Or would it be facilities both within Tolka Park and the AUL complex as well? Yeah, first of all, all of it. Uh, I mean, all of them, of course. But uh, number one is the uh, squad, for sure. First of all, the team has to progress and uh, the, the team has to have success. This is the like the fire of the oven. When your fire uh, is bigger, then uh, when you cook uh, more, uh, it's a big advantage that the restaurant be becomes full, then everything starts going uh, one to another. So uh, first of all, uh, success on the pitch is very important. And to for the success, the facilities of the playing ground is very important. So uh, our first target is, first of all, the uh, success on the pitch. But the other ones, all of them are very important for us, of course. And we, we are just uh, planning so many things in detail about uh, our stadium and, of course, our fan base being bigger. So many things we're going to keep on going one to another. You mentioned in the press conference that your goals and ambitions will be to increase attendances at Shelburne, yeah. to increase crowds. You also mentioned that perhaps it could be a 10, 20,000 yeah. capacity or, 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 or benchmark even. With that, would it be your personal preference for that to be at Tolka Park or, or have you at all investigated or looked at moving Shelburne in anywhere else? Actually, uh, I mean, it. everything should be natural, you know. Uh, at the moment, Tolka Park is okay, of course, and uh, for the close future, I can say that uh, there is a certain capacity can be enlarged and if it works, it's going to work. But if we are talking about a very bright future, if uh, we are making our fan base so bigger and bigger 
And if there is a very important limitation in the stadium that you cannot enlarge it more, so what can you do? I mean, otherwise you will lose so much energy out of the stadium. So for the long future, there is a possibility that uh, if everything goes very good and this team needs thousands and thousands, we need to put them in a stadium. But uh, for the uh, as a medium future, I would say uh, we just, of course, concentrate on Tokyo Park's uh, enlargement. All right, that is Ajun Ilijela. So he is now the majority shareholder of Shelburne. You can watch that full interview with Shane Dawson on YouTube and also on RTE.ie now. Um, Conan, I mean, Shelburne have been crying out for investment and they're not the only club in the League of Ireland, of course, in that sort of situation because he was linked with uh, Dundalk previously. What do you make of his arrival and I suppose his consortium's arrival as well um, at Shelburne and what it means for the club as well? Because he's been at pains to point out that it's not going to be a, a feeder team necessarily to Hull City, even if the, the clubs do have... Um, a, sort of a working relationship in terms of um, occasionally players moving across from one to the other? Well, Raf, the club needed investment. Um, and as they've been crying out for for the last 18 months, two years, probably even longer. Um, and Andrew Doyle has done a fantastic job since he's come in. He got the club um, back up into the Premier Division. Um, some astute signings as well. And David O'Connor is, first of all, as CEO, but even bringing in Damien Duff as manager. Um, was huge appointment at the time because it brought great um awareness to the club. Um, so that those those we can't forget the the role that um the previous owners had at the club, and they're very very happy to pass the mantle on now to Illagella. So hopefully it 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 goes well. Um, yeah, look, when it, I I like to see the long term plan, and and my long term plan at a club would always be from the bottom up, um, not from the top down, um. So when he goes, but I can see the point of, of strengthening the squad, trying to get into Europe, because we all know the money that's involved in that. Um, but I'd like to see the grassroots and, and the academy structures put in place first. Um, and if that can go on a par with this, with strengthening the squad, well, well, that would be fantastic. We've, we, we've seen the Talca Park and it's dilapidated state. Um, one of the stands can't be used at all. Um, so they're already losing revenue there by not being having supporters put in that ground. So That'd be that'd be a starting point. Um, but yeah, with the squad progression as well, they 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 need they need to sign players in order to to put themselves higher up the table. They don't score enough goals, um, and that's that's evident. They they don't concede many either. Very, they, but I think Damien Duff is is very very aware of of the squad that he has, and they make themselves very very hard to beat. And because they make themselves very hard to beat, they find themselves struggling at the top end of the top end of the pitch. Now with Sean Boyd back, obviously. I was at the game on on Friday night, and and Nil Ajella, he got a wonderful reception, not just from the Irish supporters, but from from Turkish Turkish fans as well, who were wearing the Fenerbahce jerseys in in the ground. Um, I even saw some whole city jerseys. So, um, no, it was great reception that that he got from the fans. So the fans seemed to be fully behind him, um, which is marvelous. That's what you want. Um, but in the, in the, within the game itself, Shells should have won the game. Um, Jack Moylan had three wonderful chances to, to score. I've always said that he's he's such a wonderful talent, but he just doesn't score enough goals from 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 his positions on the pitch. Um, but he creates so much problems for 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 opponents with his with his strength and his technical ability on the ball. Um, and even with Jad Hakiki as well coming through, he came off the bench and he was very direct. And we mentioned Tulloch earlier on. Dave mentioned how good he was, and I think we're we're, we're crying out for more direct wingers. In the League of Ireland, 
there, there's not many anymore. Obviously, Michael Duffy's injured. He, he's not doing it, but um, at the moment, but like we're getting players and even in games where yeah, the, the opportunity is to put a ball into the box and they don't do that. And I'm, I'm, I don't know whether it's just me being um, grumpy now that I've retired, but it could be, is it, is it got to do with stats? They don't want to lose possession of, of the ball and because it, it comes up in their stats that they, they, they gave the ball away. Um, but there's plenty of opportunities in, in that I've been at in at games this season where a winger has the ball, he goes by his man, and he checks back and gives it back to the fullback rather than whip it across the box. Like and, and as is, like I played in, on the right wing, and if the left winger did that, I'd be screaming at them. And I'm sure Dave as a centre forward would be screaming at them because you you can make, you can only make the same run so many times. You know you kind of have to alter your run, and then fitness kind of plays a part. But um, yeah, I just uh, that that's my rant over there on, on wingers but um, I think Shells deserve to win the game on Friday um, JJ Lunny in the middle of the park I think he's very very underrated probably most underrated player in the league um, dictated the whole game from his position as, uh, in the six they need to keep in keep him and the other thing is is that when uh, Illajala came into this came in as owner the first job he was to do was to nail down Conor Cairns um, so they extended his contract as well for, for another year which was which was great news for Shell. So um, they've brought in Tony O'Neill now as community development manager. Um, huge appointment. He was with Shamrock Rovers through theirs, through their, um, through their rise. So he's already out in in North Dublin area uh, visiting schools and visiting football clubs, which is um, offering free coaching sessions to to football clubs, which is great, great facility. They're not looking for anything in return. So um, these things will will get bums on seats and and that is needed at, at Talca Park but yeah I think they need to look from the bottom up rather than the top down Yeah and speaking of Talca Park as it was addressed in the press conference both in the live section and then in the extended embargo section for the newspapers after so before um, before the press conference there had already been talk about Shells being close to purchasing the uh, the ground from Dublin City Council and then um, expanding on that then Andrew Doyle said we're continuing with the negotiation with DCC that obviously takes time we're committed to the process and then he added that uh, Talca Park will not just be renewed it will be reimagined and then I'll just play this clip before I get your thoughts David but um, this was Tan Kessler who um, Illigella had billed in the press conference with a bit of a laugh that it was this is his Mr Operations who was going to be and in quotes Mr Operations who's going to be uh, you know looking after the operative matters of the club and he's he's an executive board member who's also been involved at Hull City but let's just listen to both of them discussing uh, the issue of Talca Park. Stadium is something very sacred to the club. We, we were speaking with the um, we were speaking with the, the board members and also our coach as well. How he he mentioned that he played when he was uh, when he was here when, when he was young. So the a lot of exciting things will happen. The chairman will also mention it. But as far as the technicality, how it's going to be done, I think it's too early to commit to an to to an answer. So it's. To, to give you an understanding, Tolka Park is special for our club, and there will be there will be some uh, um, improvements in the future, I, I believe. And then, but we were still working on it. But, but but by the way, I have to just mention something. Uh, you know, when we bought Hull City, the average attendance was uh, almost uh, eight thousand uh, for the team. <coughs> so, uh, as I say, we love uh, taking teams uh, with potential and to lift them. Uh, higher. So uh, now, last game of the season, we played to 23,000 in Hull City, uh, and our expectation average is 20,000 this year. 
So uh, why we did this hostage operation was the potential that we saw and it was obvious. I see the same here too. Uh, I mean, um, if you ask me, it's not uh, something unlogical that this team uh, will in the future uh, play to uh, over 10,000 fans, uh, 15,000 fans, because this country has the potential. As an island, you are very good in football. Uh, so that means that if a national team is successful in football, that means that people love football. So we are in the uh, center of the country. So that means that uh, the football lovers are searching for, uh, of course, motivation. That's all. So our aim is to motivate our fans uh, and to make the fan base bigger. Uh, to especially, we're going to concentrate on the kids. Uh, for me, I love kids uh, and I love their coming to the games, their energy. So we will just uh, motivate the young people, the kids and everybody so that we can just uh, have more and more fans. So uh, if you ask me what is the potential here, mm. uh, I mean, if everything goes good, over uh, 10,000, over 20,000 is possible in this country. A football game can be watched easily. All right, so that is Ajun Ilijela again, but before that, Tan Kessler, who's an executive uh, board member, and David, um, you know, as Conan said, you know, the, you know, Talca Park definitely needs work, and that has to be a key cornerstone for the the club um, going forward, especially in the wake of the, um, you know, the Save Talca Park campaign, and I suppose the the tradition that exists uh, between, I suppose, the club and then obviously its main uh, point of infrastructure. Yeah, I think there. There is um, elements of watching back to peak six coming in at the dock, and I don't mean that overly in a negative point of view, but they, um, you know, they, they don't want to overly commit and make big commitments at this stage. I think there's a lot of moving parts, particularly with Talca Park and spoke about, you know, negotiations with Dublin City Council. And, um, you know, there's no point in saying we're going to redevelop this into a big stadium without really doing your research and working hard behind the scenes to, to see if that's really possible. And, um, there's no doubt, I think, across the league, we, we want improved stadiums and improved facilities. I don't expect somebody to come in in one day and, you know, commit two or five million into a stadium. Um, that mightn't even be the right decision, that, as he spoke about, that you need to grow your fan base and, and provide the facilities that, that you actually require. If Shells can manage to get 5,000 out of games consistently, then provide a stadium for, for six or 7,000 that you can grow a little bit and do it stage by stage. I think that's that's the right process. And, um, look, if they can get ownership of Talca and, and make those improvements little by little, I think that's the first step. And there's no need to make a, a master plan in the first week of ownership. I think it's just improving things. Um, as Conan said, I mean, you speak about, you know, improving things on the pitch and that can go wrong sometimes. That, that You know, you might spend a lot of money and you just don't get a team that works. It happened with us in the dock and, and big money was spent. It doesn't always mean success. So, you know, if they can make improvements in their academy and in, in the younger age groups um you know similar to, to how rovers have done it and, and begun to dominate the league i think that's a good example for shells to, to follow and um i think it's little by little there's no need for for any major jump in and um you know i'd be more impressed if the guy says he's, he's going to make you know tweaks as he goes rather than you know offering grand solutions i think that's not that's not always the, the answer that um, i know fans want big money spent but it's got to be done in, in stages and in increments and and make those improvements across the board and uh, it looks promising i mean his track record i think that the fan base and whole are, are 
overwhelmingly in favour of, of, of his ownership and, and how he's done things in Hull. So uh, you can only go off that really if you're a Shells fan. And I think that's probably helped in terms of what Conor mentioned, the reaction he would have got on Friday night. So uh, it certainly looks good for Shells. I think any League of Ireland fan will always have a little bit of scepticism from, from all the issues that changes of ownerships have caused over the years. Um, so there'll always be a wee bit of scepticism. But um, yeah, the track record looks good and and hopefully it's positive things for Shelburne and for League of Ireland football in general. Yeah, and before we go, just in regard to the first division, so Friday night, uh, Cove Ramblers won 3-2 at, at Lone Town, and then Galway United beat Kerry 1-0, Treaty United and Bray Wanderers drew one all, and Waterford trashed Finn Harp 6-1, and then Saturday, Longford Town beat Wexford 2-1. But Conan, I suppose, looking at this division, it's the story feels like it's been told a long, long time ago. I mean, the gap is huge between first and second, and then there's just a big block between, uh, you know, in the battle for, for the playoff places. And it feels like nothing has really changed from like the first four or five weeks of the season. It just goes to show how important the playoffs system is rough because otherwise we wouldn't be looking at the first division at all it's a it's 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 like it's you consider itself it's over like 13 points they've only uh, Galway have only conceded eight goals all season um in 21 games it's pretty remarkable what they what what they're doing here they've they've only drawn one and lost one all season so um but fair play like it and a lot of people were kind of sniggering when John Caulfield appointed um Ollie Horgan as has his assistant thinking that what is it a good move? Is it a, what type of football would they play? But they're absolutely dominating teams now. They only got a one 0 win on, on Friday, um, but at the same against Kerry. But at the same time, like they're still chipping away, getting the three points week in week out. And Waterford are are, are trying to are trying to stay stay with them. And um, and even then, there's a ten point gap between second and third. So it's uh it's a, it's like a you don't you kind of want to keep calling it a two horse race, but it's very very difficult with the games going on to to continue doing that. It's like um really difficult, but uh yeah, I just think players are just absolutely fine and, and fair play to them. Yeah, and David, I suppose a final point. Um, if we're to pick a standout, I guess it'd be Cove Ramblers and uh, Shane Keegan. The work has been done down there. Yeah, I've worked with Shane in, in the lock, and um, he's a passionate man for every sport. I think the GA. <laughs> The hard work of Bella, he, you know, he, um, he's done it before in the first division, and and he's, you know, he's producing good results with Cove. They've improved massively this season, um, which yeah, it's a battle there for the, the playoff spots. That's really, I suppose, what everybody's watching now at this point. There, there isn't probably a whole lot more to be decided. I'd say even in Waterford, there, they probably just need to keep the foot to the pedal to be to be in good form for you know what's what looks like it'll be playoff games, um. Galway side just reminds me of Cork. I think it was twenty seventeen, just eking out wins. Um, even if they don't play well, they'll pull out a one 0 win. And as Conan said, if you're building off a base of eight goals conceding twenty one games or whatever it might be, uh, you know, any team going in to face them now, they're in for a tough task. So it's a brilliant job. It's 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 uh, you know, it looks like it's easy just keep steamrolling teams and keep winning games, but that takes a lot of preparation, a lot of um, a lot of hard work and. I know how driven John was to try and win the league this year after disappointment last season. And um, yeah, he's put a good side together. That's that's just a team of winners now at this point. That they probably gone into every game now and they're going to win it. And um, yeah, they could have it wrapped up with a few weeks to spare. Yeah, for sure. But uh, that pretty much brings us to a close for this week. And also you can remember, you can watch Ireland v France, the send-off game before the team head off to the World Cup live on RT2 and RT Player on Thursday from 7.30pm. But uh, David and Conan, thanks a million for your time.
Thanks, Russ. Thanks, Russ.